Hi, and welcome to Culture Lit, a podcast and community that explores Black women and romantic love through the lens of romance novels. I'm your host, Octavia Marie. Each episode of Culture Lit trains a spotlight on a new Black romance novel and then deep dives into the many themes facing Black women and love after 40. Be ready to laugh, sigh, and talk about Black women falling in love, yes, sex too, and the Black authors writing their stories. Recently, I was scrolling through the socials and happened upon a thread comparing two plus-sized models. The comments were about on par to what I'd expect of the comments anytime the bodies of Black women are discussed. I wasn't very surprised by what I read. Some comments were disguised as fake concern for health of the models. Of course, some colorism comments were thrown in for shits and giggles. Then the comments turned to why neither model would get a man until they lost some weight, which again, didn't surprise me. And this led me here. How do romantic narratives explore or influence our ideas of which bodies are desirable or deserving of love or romantic partners? How individuals must produce desirable bodies to create quote-unquote value in a romantic relationship? And who decides what those desirable bodies look like? What lens, especially when you're looking at the bodies of Black women? And let's be clear, whiteness and white supremacy plays a role here too, even when the desirability is being discussed by our Black kinfolk. And then there's honestly even a socioeconomic dynamic at play here. Do you know your place? Do you know your role in this culture? And are you adhering to the norms of your identity and how you fit into this structure? There are so many lanes to go down here, but let's just niche it on down and talk about our bodies and how that plays into romantic love. I've gone around and around about what message I wanted to get across. We hit on my love of romance novels. And even in some of my favorite books by my favorite authors, we still get caught up in what bodies recur the most or are representative of desirable. When we think about beauty standards and we think about the dominant idea of beauty standards, I think about when I was a teenager and I used to read Seventeen magazine and see the models on the cover and inside. There wasn't a black teen equivalent. I think the closest might have been right on magazine. What were teenage girls supposed to look like? Or better yet, what did black teenage girls look like? They had us believing they were supposed to look like tall, white, thin, young, beautiful, and probably blonde. So suffice it to say, black teen girls were questioning their bodies long before the body positivity movement. We never questioned where this idea came from, though. There was absolutely no diversity in those magazines especially no body diversity. I'm a woman that is thick, black, and 50-ish. Mind your business. I've dealt with these ideas of my body and what it should look like during my life. As a thick or curvy woman, I've been different sizes throughout my entire adult life, but I've mainly been curvy and thick. I think about who deserves love and, again, what we've been told about love. If we go back, I really want to kick my 16-year-old self for having spent my tween years reading all these different magazines and then thinking, if you just lost those 10 pounds, that guy would be really interested in you. And here we are in 2023 speaking that same trash to our women and girls. We're focusing on the physical aspect of what's considered attractive and what's not. For me, the big old booty wasn't always a desired body. Now, Women are paying thousands of dollars for the same body I shunned in my teen years. 
I'm not going to lie, the body talk messed with my mind in my 20s. Then I finally decided they're going to get whatever my body is given. Enough is enough. My thing is thinking. And they're going to get all of this. I didn't start reading romance until my early 20s. I've been a dedicated romance reader for decades now. But I remember my favorites from the start of my romance reading journey. I'm not going to thin shame anyone because that was a long time ago and authors have come a very long way in diversifying their leading ladies. But this traditional romantic lead, she is a 23-year-old girl who's tall and lean and she's every guy's desire. I've read those books. There's still quite a few of those books that I really enjoy, but I don't identify with them. Now, when I seek out romance, there are some books that I just won't read. People continually advocate for representation, not just ethnic representation, but body diversity too. I don't want to read books where the main character is talking about dieting so she can lose weight to capture the hero's attention. No, nope, not interested. There's a book that came out last year titled Savvy Sheldon Feels Good as Hell. I was really looking forward to reading this book. The cover had a curvy black woman with natural wild hair. But as I started to read the first pages of the book, I felt the story going in that direction. And I was so disappointed. I almost put the book down. There were some great parts in the book. And some of the book focused on a revenge body theme after breaking up with her boyfriend, who left her with cruel words about her body. However, I kept with it because I really liked the character Sheldon and it ended up being one of my favorite books. I think about what are we telling women is desirable and what do they need to do to themselves to be desirable? And this is inclusive of all people who identify as a woman. Hey girl, hey. If you're enjoying the show, make sure you sign up for our occasional newsletter and join our community at culturelitpodcast.com, where we share book reviews, you can interact with our guests, and you'll have a chance to tell me your story and be a part of our community. That's culturelitpodcast.com. Now, back to the show. When we get down to it, Romance is a written art, right? People are creative and they come up with these stories and they want us to share them. But there's also the capitalism behind selling books. Early in my career journey, I was a romance copy editor. So I've edited a few of these romance novels. There's all these craft books about what a romance is supposed to do. And we all know about the tropes and the rhythm of books and the cheat sheets and all that. But what's going to sell? Are you going to sell a book where a 41-year-old fat woman finds love without self-loathing? When we talk about writing black or brown romance, all these different things, what it comes down to is what's going to sell, right? The perpetuation of this idea, not just of love and being worthy of love. Have you worked hard enough to deserve this love? I think that every single person is deserving of love. And that's what's angered me about the comments on this woman's post. Why is she not deserving of love? And why do you think she has to be a certain body to be worthy of love? We need to throw that away with all the other trash ideas floating around in 2023. I can't believe some of this bullshit. One does not need to do anything, attain anything to be worthy of love. There are probably things individuals do to have successful relationships, right? We're all in control of our behavior and partners are also in charge of their behavior. 
but everyone is deserving of love. I think the problem is that when we see the same archetype recurring over and over again, it's the vast majority of representation, however, it's a much smaller percentage of actual representation, like in real life. It starts to reinforce those ideas that certain people are desirable, certain bodies are desirable. And I think it's really important when talking specifically about body positivity is to acknowledge the appropriation of body positivity by white feminism, consumer feminism. When we think about the reasons why people in stories say they desire something, the reasons why are almost just as important as what? I think the lens is very important as we start to talk about bodies and particularly in text, and that can include a literal text, like a book or a film or a TV show, that the way we talk about things, sometimes they may be representing a body that does not conform entirely to that European beauty standard, but still reinforces the exact same ideology because all they do is switch what is included and what should be accepted as beautiful. Bell Hooks was a voracious reader of romance novels, And in her essay, Black is a Woman's Color, she begins with good hair. That's the expression. We all know it. Begin to hear it when we were small children, when we were sitting between the legs of mothers and sisters getting our hair combed. Good hair is hair that is not kinky. Hair that does not feel like balls of steel wool. Hair that does not take hours to comb. Hair that does not need tons of grease to untangle. Hair that is long. Real good hair is straight hair, hair like white folks' hair. We pretend that the standards we measure our beauty by are our own invention, that it is a question of time and money that lead us to make distinctions between good hair and bad hair. Getting our hair pressed is an important ritual. It is not a sign of our longing to be white. It is not a sign of our quest to be beautiful. We are girls. It is a sign of our desire to be women. And I just thought that this distinctly captures how we convince ourselves under that ideology to believe that these goals are our goals, that they have nothing to do with these other ideologies, that this is just what we're choosing to do. Also, it encapsulates that project that we undertake in forming our bodies to be, to fit a certain standard, and not to question how we formed that idea to begin with. In my teen years, I was such an activist and was so against romantic notions from my young teen understanding of feminism. But none of those women were from an adult viewpoint. They weren't my age. I hear so many women my age saying, I don't want to read about 23-year-olds and I absolutely don't want to read about skinny 23-year-olds all the time. I think as teenage black girls, we needed that and didn't always get it. And so in the essay by Bell Hooks, I think about why it's so important to see black beauty and not just represent it in ads. There's a whole discussion on lighter skin and hair, and that's what we see in ads. That's who we see modeling. But when we think about women who have 4C hair getting represented in ads, women who deal with dispigmentation, women of all sizes and shapes and shades, I think that's what young girls need to see. It's also why I believe Black love is so revolutionary, and we need to see and read more about Black women and the idea of love. Jessica Pryor released an anthology last year titled Black Love Matters that showcases personal essays that reflect how Black love has been depicted in media, from social justice, 
the publishing industry to desirability. And it's a must for those who want to engage with the concept of Black love as a form of liberation and self-love. From the moment you are born, there are these expectations about who you should be as a woman. My Bessie and I talk a lot about growing up with a mom who constantly talked about dieting or being on a diet. Always trying some diet shake or exercising. If you weren't working out, you weren't losing weight. If you weren't drinking these shakes and eating bland chicken for dinner, you weren't losing weight. All in the pursuit of losing weight. Because it was what was tied to self-worth. And that was passed on to me. So when we think about who deserves success, who deserves love, not the people who can't control themselves, that eat too much, there's an assumption that fat people are lesser than, do not have control, and therefore are unworthy of love as they are right now. But here's the thing. It's what we're told, right? It's how we're raised. And when it comes to body size, the goal there is to be small. So the behavior is to achieve a particular goal that when you actually think about the goal, you're like, why is it better to be smaller or to be a particular prescribed size, right? Like, why is that the goal? As I've worked towards having a healthier relationship with my body, I actually really wanted to resist that. Why do I have to be smaller? Why do I have to do particular things to adhere to a beauty standard? I don't have to do it for those reasons, but there are other reasons to take a walk. If you change the goal of, I need to punish my body for eating something by doing this with the goal of getting smaller, that's a very different frame of mind from, if I pay attention to my body, when I take a walk, I feel better. My mind is more clear when I include some physical activity in my day. It becomes about the framing. We've all struggled with the same thing. And connecting exercise with weight loss and doing exercise for weight loss is, again, how it's been framed for so long. I will say, though, that it feels like things are changing. That actually comes back to the idea of romance as a marketplace, where the illusion of all the choice actually turns us into consumers of romantic partners and as producers of ourselves as product in that romantic marketplace. And so that too really enforces this idea we need to make ourselves as valuable as possible in this romantic marketplace. And when I see Black authors finally getting it and writing books about Black women and love that deconstructs the beauty standard for women in terms of size, the women may not be conventionally attractive by every other aspect, like she's dark-skinned, she's able-bodied, she's upper-middle class. Her body is shaped in a way that I think is considered to be more conventionally attractive, like big boobs. It feels we're really breaking down body stereotypes and expectations for women here. But are we doing the same for men also? Are we reinforcing the value of certain male beauty standards in this story? There's a number of books that I've read over the past few years, I'd say, that really have shown that representation both on the male side and the female side. If the narrative focus exclusively on like the one, you can have one flaw and God forbid that it goes against the European beauty standards. When thinking about that sort of intersectionality, you are a fat black woman who is also socioeconomically less privileged. Is that too much? Can we not handle that in our romance stories? And I don't want to just talk about romance novel because I think that this really extends to all romantic narratives, like writing a script with a film or like creating a character in a TV show or casting actors, literal people in visual representation of these fictional stories. 
even in advertisements, usually there's a narrative to an advertisement. And so if the casting of people is okay, great, we're going to do the Dove ad and we're going to, we've got our Asian woman, we've got our size, whatever. We've got some stretch marks and it itself becomes problematic as well. It becomes like a checklist. I've been paying a little bit more attention to this as I read because books that I really enjoy by authors like Talia Hibbert, Rebecca Weatherspoon, Jasmine Guillory, the depth is there. The depth is there. So what are my choices? What kind of book would be either sold or self-published? Who would write the story? We think about feminism and romance. And I know you've had these conversations before. What is the limit? What is allowable? What is palatable? How far can you go? I struggle in talking about this regarding romantic novels. But if you think about movies and you think about TV shows, it comes down to what's going to sell and what are people going to watch? Is the investment worth it? Consumerism isn't about feeding the people what they want. It's about making money, right? It's about making profit and selling people. Like, I love that that's the ethics of marketing. It's, are you truly giving people what they want and need? Or are you making people go get interest loans for something they don't probably need, but also can't afford? And then, so what's your end game? What is the goal of capitalism? It's making money. Their incentive is to sell you something. They literally don't have a job if they can't sell the manuscript. So they are then dependent on this preconceived idea about what sells. And this reminds me of something I posted on Twitter recently about this idea of when publishers say something doesn't have a market. What they usually mean is either they haven't ever acquired a thing like this, so they have no sales data, or they have acquired something like this that has some element in common with this, and they chalked up its lack of success to this one thing, right or wrong. They only have one thing like it. And they're pinning all of this token representation of like, we tried a book with a fat character once and it didn't do well. Or we're not going to pay attention to the fact that we did market the book effectively. We didn't put any budget behind it. That this particular story maybe didn't resonate with people as well as another story with a fat character. You know how it goes. The list goes on. So that's my take for today. My rant is over. If you're looking for some great reads, I've included a link for recommendations featuring curvy bodies, chubby bodies, fat bodies, because all bodies are good bodies. Romance is where Miss Fat Booty gets all the happy endings. All of them. You've been listening to Culture Lit with Octavia Marie. And that's all for us this week. Be sure to listen, download, or subscribe to more episodes of Culture Lit. You can find Culture Lit on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Apple listeners, please be sure to leave a review and let us know what you think. Don't forget to talk to me on social or share your Black love stories at Becoming Octavia Marie on Instagram or XO Octavia Marie on Twitter. Make sure you sign up for our occasional newsletter and join our community at culturelitpodcast.com.